You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Amen. Well, I think we just got a little preview of what the angels in heaven sound like there, right? Thank you, Lindsay. That was absolutely amazing. Again, big thank you to our tech team and our worship team for all the hours and energy that goes into glorifying God. Amen. Well, on behalf of Jack and myself, I'd like to take the opportunity to uh, welcome you and wish the South Bay Church, everyone that's here this morning, a very Merry Christmas on this Merry Christmas Eve day, right? That's where we're at. Well, we're going to jump right in this morning. Uh, if you have your South Bay Church app, uh, I put uh, very copious, extensive notes in there for you. Uh, we're continuing with our series. This is the final installment on our uh, Between Two Trees. Hopefully, I'll be able to wrap it up and put a bow on it for you today. But the purpose of this series ultimately is to help us understand God's plan, God's zeal and enthusiasm and love for us from the very beginning of time, starting in the garden, to what we'll look at today in the book of Revelations, and just the incredible continuity we have in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. But the biggest thing is God, through the millenniums, being cognizant of us and wanting to have a relationship with us. Ultimately, God unveils himself to us through his word. We get, you know, I, I think this is something we've got to be careful about, too. We hear this a lot, you know, about the stories in the Bible. And I find myself doing this as well. But ultimately, it's the account of God and his relationship with men in the Bible. And just thinking that through, it's his autobiography and it's history that we're all a part of that ultimately lies between the two trees. The thing I love the most about having the opportunity to preach this particular message is the time that I had to spend studying things out and just realizing that when it comes to God, nothing happens by chance. God lays out this amazing tapestry from the beginning of time to the ends of time. And again, just this this cognizance of us, this wanting restoration, wanting peace, wanting this relationship with us, is amazing, and he spared no time or expense to facilitate it. God is the God of all creation, of all nations. He is the great I Am. And with that, this kind of gives us a little bit of a perspective on it, and that he gives us this account of how he has been working in the world, starting with the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, and then progressing from there to the tree of life in the book of Revelations. And ultimately, between those two trees, that's us. Mankind, we're in the midst of all that. We are a part of this account. We have a role to play in this account. And this is where the story begins for us. This is where hope, peace, and salvation lies. So preparing for this lesson, I I really want us all to keep in mind that God is an inclusive God. He has a plan calling all peoples, all kinds, very diverse from all nations to be a part of this. God wants us to hear this call so we can understand the bigger picture of how he has worked and is working in the world today. Now, for those of us who are disciples that made Jesus Christ Lord, God wants us to understand that we are a blessing. That's right. We are a blessing to the world. We are here for the shaping of good and within our community and point really being able to, with that understanding of what God has in store for all of us, being able to take the opportunity to point others towards a new way of thinking, a new way of living, ultimately a new creation with God for eternity. 
And hopefully that's exactly what this series has been able to establish and help us grasp the timeline of the Old Testament and how it all fits together for us to give us a better understanding of God's mission in the world and how we fit into it. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, Paul talks about us being co-workers with him and really understanding that it's us being allowed to be a part of his mission. It's not our mission hoping that God is going to bless it. It's not that we have a mission that we want God to bless, but God has a mission that we've been called to join in with him. You know, in our postmodern world, many perceive the Bible, as I said earlier, as a story. And ultimately what that does is it allows us to believe that it's really less of an authority or has any real significance for guidance in our life. And this was me at the age of 32. You know, most of you know that at the age of 13, I I had just gotten so disillusioned with religion. I know it sounds really crazy for a 13-year-old to have that kind of grasp on things, but I I know having been raised in a major denomination, the degree of hypocrisy I saw even at that early age was a total turnoff for me. And just the chaos, how out of control this world was, I couldn't understand how there could possibly be a God that would allow for all this to take place. It wasn't until I became a Christian at the age of 32 that I realized that God really did have a purpose for my life. And it was more than just a job. It was more than just a livelihood. It was more than just taking care of my wife and kids. But it goes beyond what I could provide for them. And there's a spiritual component to this. And the Bible, even though it's 2,000 years plus old, depending on what part of you read, there is definitively application for us in our lives today. And that's when my life really took a change, a turn for the better in so many different ways. By being, being able to understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Being that he's the one that breathed life into my lungs, he probably has an idea as to what's going to be best for me in this life. So we see this redeeming work of God's going on from the garden, ultimately, the relationship that he had with Adam and Eve and this transition to what it culminates in in the book of Revelation and finding out that the thing that's the center of all of this is Jesus Christ. For me, it was something that, that moved beyond just a dead, heartless religion and religious obedience, which ultimately, what happens when you disobey? I don't know about you, it guilted me out. I mean, that's ultimately what took place. I mean... You know, you know you're supposed to obey, and Paul talks about in Romans, you know, I know the good that I do, but I don't. That's the reality. But if we really understand what God has done, the fact that he sacrificed his son for us, it gives us the ability to be grateful for this relationship and knowing that God wanted us to have this relationship, therefore we should want to obey. Just knowing that the extent that he was willing to go to for us. It helps us see the gospel operates in the principle that God accepts me, Therefore, I obey. And this is the motivation, ultimately, that will get us to heaven. This understanding that enables us to see the birth of Christ, what Christmas is about, as this amazing gift we don't deserve. But in knowing that, wanting to embrace it and keep it for our own is our most prized possession. At the same time, to be filled with a desire that enables us to give this gift, to gift this gift to others as well. So a little bit of review this morning. In Genesis 2, verse 4, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. In verse 7 it reads, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put a man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. And then in verse 15 it reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We started out as gardeners taking care of something that God has given us. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But we, we need to keep in mind this one exception. There's one exception. Especially, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we're most of us familiar with this passage. God establishes this. He creates man, all the animals, provides this garden, gives it to the oversight and care of man, gives uh, man a helpmate, Adam and Eve. And then we know Satan kind of gets in the mix. And there's this thing about, you know, hey, God, God told you all this stuff is good. Bottom line is you can eat whatever you want. And tempts Eve when it comes to the, the, the uh, tree of the knowledge of wisdom. And we know kind of tanks after that, right? Now, with that, could they have eaten from the tree of life? That's totally the case. The tree of life was something that was there for them if they had listened to what God had said to them. If they had loved God for everything God provided, with the exception of that one tree, we wouldn't have any of this today. God wanted that relationship. That relationship was special. Adam and Eve didn't really perceive it as such and felt they weren't content with what God had established and they wanted more. So as long as man remained sinless, he was allowed to eat of the tree of life. But as soon as he sinned, he was banned. I don't know why they didn't get to that tree first. Satan maybe uh, kind of figured out if I deal with this, we get this one, then they're mine. But if we continue, as we continue in Genesis 3, verse 22, it says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which it had been taken. Now we see this transition in the book of Ezekiel. There's this, this talk about the tree of life again. It's prophesied about it in this book, which was written somewhere in the realm of 592 to 570 B.C., and Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel, the prophet, as well. Which, again, the Jews were in exile in Babylon. And what this book is, is an appeal, ultimately, for restoration. To return to God and godly behavior. But at the same time, it talks about the punishment that would take place because of idolatry. Why they were exiles. And the fact that they had gotten caught up in the surrounding culture they were a part of. But ultimately, it calls for restoration. I love chapters 33 to 48 because that's exactly what they deal with this incredible new promise a new shepherd a new life a new temple new worship so with that in ezekiel 47 verse 12 it reads fruit trees of all kind will grow on both banks of the river their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. We see this exact same account in Revelations 22. And this is written to disciples to, to hang on, not to lose faith, just dealing with a lot of the persecution and other things that they were going through at that time. But in Revelations 22, verse, seven, or verse 1, 
It reads, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. This is such a cool vision, and it ties into so many other things, again, that God has established throughout the Scriptures. There's two significant things going on here. The tree of life bears 12 crops of fruit, one crop each month. So we can see that this tree bears fruit year-round. This symbolizes continuous life, continual fruit going on for eternity. And there isn't a time where the tree doesn't bear fruit. It always bears fruit. It provides eternal fruit. Therefore, the person that eats of that tree of life is nourished by its fruit for eternity. He lives forever. There's another symbol here as well, the bearing of fruit of God's Spirit. The person who eats of the tree of life will bear the fruit of the Spirit eternally. It talks about the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of all nations. And this is really kind of cool. These leaves prevent sickness and disease. They give the person who eats of it the ability to be clothed in Christ, a perfect body. This symbolizes the perfection that we know of Jesus Christ. Because of His perfection, His living sin-free, we have this indescribable gift of salvation that we receive through Christ. And again, with that, that perfect healing and deliverance is from all the suffering that we have because of sin in this world. And those leaves, again, it talks about those leaves. It's actually a reference here, and we'll see it in a minute, to the Great Commission. I mean, we think about those leaves, as it says in Revelation 20, 22 there, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And what are those leaves for? The healing of all nations. Where have we seen that before? What were the last words of Jesus? As disciples, where was the word going to go? Something that would go out to all nations. So here's the first promises given to the overcomers in Revelations 2, verse 7. In Revelations 2, verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we, we've got this thing with the tree of life again. It's being offered to man again, a second time. And due to the fall of man, the tree was closed off to us. But through the redemption of Christ, we are given that right to eat from that tree again. It's been restored through the blood of Christ. It's established by the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened to us through the curtain of that is his body. So that blood of Christ is restorative. It gives us the opportunity to enter the most holy place. And then in Revelation 22, verse 3, it's a um, mistype there on the uh, slide. It's actually Revelation 22. It says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and he, they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants 
the things that might soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know, because the tree grows in the water, the river of water life, the tree is that final invitation for man to have that opportunity to be restored with God. Revelation 22, verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may go through the gates into the city. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You know, there's a number of things that we're going to see that many of us are aware of. You know, we hear the bread of life, the water of life, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, these different things that we hear in bits and pieces, but God is tying it all together here in the book of Revelations. You know, where else do we see the significance of the washing of robes? Yeah, the waters of baptism. You know, we, we see this with, with Ananias going to Paul, who had been one of the, the major persecutors of the Christians of his day overseeing their deaths because of the faith that they had taken, the fact that they had embraced Jesus Christ's words and owned it for themselves. And with that, we see Paul, you know, sometimes we need a little push in the right direction on occasion. Paul was a little stubborn. God actually had to blind him. He, He was blinded for three days, which meant he was reliant on someone else. And he heard the message about Jesus Christ. At the culmination of that message, Ananias said to Paul, Now, why wait any longer? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, trusting in him to save you. And ultimately, we can get caught up in all kinds of arguments about this, that, and the other. This is all faith-based, right? You know, you can hear that, you know, baptism is a works. Well... If it's just a matter of works, what would the significance of getting in that water be other than the fact that Jesus has established the significance of it and we see the continuity of this degree of purity that's needed to be able to enter into a relationship with God. We see Paul talk about the need to be clothed in Christ. That takes place one place and one place only, and that's through the waters of baptism. You know, again, that correlation with what we see in Revelations. Because the tree grows in the river of the water of life, the tree is included in the final invitation to each of us. From verse 14, as we saw in Revelations, we can see that the believers who wash their robes, those whose sins have been washed away because of their obedience to the Scripture and their faith in the Scripture, they have the right to enjoy the tree of life as their eternal portion in God's holy city. Now, with that, in light of what we started out with today, don't lose sight of God's intention for man, for each and every one of us. It is represented by this tree. God wants us to take direction and take this free gift of life. By eating of this tree, we'll have eternal life. And now, when you you think about that, what you eat, what happens to it? Doesn't it become a part of you? That's exactly what takes place. The tree of life signifies the prince, the originator, the author of life, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, God himself as our life. And the symbolism that we see in the book of Genesis of the tree of life finds its explanation and fulfillment in the Gospel of John. You know, as Adam was offered life, if he would eat of the tree of life, 
So each of us individually, when Christ came, man was for the second time presented with God's life and told that it could be received by eating it. It was so, to, with us, Jesus, to make the point, goes after it in uh, John 6, in verse 32, he refers to himself as the bread of life. And this was controversial, especially as you'll see going through these next three verses. In John 6, 32 through 58, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. I tell you the truth in verse 47. It says, I tell you the truth, who believes in me will have everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give up for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you will have no life in you. You know, it's so wild. God had been preparing the Jews for thousands of years through the prophets. And we see here, Jesus, God in the flesh, with this message, isn't greeted or treated any differently than the prophets that had gone before him. He ended up experiencing the same thing. He was met with contempt and the same faith that most of the prophets received, which was death. It's so clear that the way the Lord is received by us is consuming him, just as God provided for his people in the desert. You know, eat, drink, consumption. What does consumption yield? For us, salvation. You know, and it's something, in order to, when it comes to salvation, we have to receive it. We have to accept it. We have to partake in it. We have to appropriate, assimilate, absorb to make it part of oneself. So we can actually receive and partake of Christ in the closest, most intimate, nourishing sense of his being as he establishes here his flesh and blood. And this receiving and participating and partaking in can just be ultimately as intimate and nourishing as eating and drinking. And this really threw people off. But again, this is why it's so important for us as God's children to understand the significance of his word. You know, and ultimately, for a lot of us, we've, we've gotten away from when we were young the, the degree of desire that we had for God's Word and how aggressive we would go after it and all, discovering new things. But, you know, you can open the Bible any day and discover something new. That's what I loved about this study series. Ultimately, when it comes to that salvation, it's accomplished through accepting and assimilating His Word. The way to receive Christ into our heart, our soul, and our mind is by obedience to His Word. You know, we saw what happened in the garden. God gave them everything. There was just one exception. It was a covenant. It was an agreement that he entered into with Adam. But he wasn't content. And it's amazing how we've just got to make sure contentment for us doesn't turn into complacency when it comes to God's word. 
We are dead spiritually and eternally unless we obey, receive, and are clothed in Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians 3, verse 26. I love this passage. It's so clear what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the need for nourishment and relying on his body and his blood and the significance of baptism, knowing that the only way we can enter into the gates of heaven is by looking like God's Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 16 it says, This is what the Lord says, Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in Galatians 22. Or Genesis 22. Let me back up. Like, this isn't sounding right. It's on a roll until right then. Galatians 3, verse 26. says, You are sons of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ. Now, why would you do that if you didn't have faith? And that's, again, how significant it is for us to understand what God's plan is for our lives. So for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. With that passage... If you don't know what the promise was to Abraham, would this make any sense? This is why it's so incredibly important for us to be in God's Word. You know, were there conditions here when it came to that faith, that that gift that would take place? Genesis 22, we'll take a look at that promise that was made to Abraham. What was the promise? This is what the Lord says. Because you've obeyed me, and not withheld even your son, your own son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Again, were there conditions here? Of course they were. We see the terms of the blessing, the contract, the covenant, right there in verse 16. Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your own son, then. And then again in verse 18, he says, all nations will be blessed. Why? It says, because of his love and obedience to God. And what we see here is this, this incredible foreshadowing of what God would do for us. The extremes God would go to for us on Christmas Day, the gift of God's only son. God provided for Abraham exactly the same way as he's provided for us. You know, the book of Genesis, God's referred to as Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh, which ultimately, it, when it came to the situation with Abraham, I don't have time to spend on his situation, but know that God called him to sacrifice his own son. And I, I believe, as some of the commentaries I've read, that Abraham was going through with it because ultimately he believed that God would bring his son back to life as long as he was, he was obedient to him. So this is a foreshadowing of what we have through Jesus Christ himself. And what God was willing to do for us, just as he had for Abraham. Abraham named the place after God because God provided. That's where the whole uh, Jehovah Jireh comes from, is that that sacrifice, God provided the sacrifice in place of his son. Now, continuing the book of John, in John 6, verse 57, 
says, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And then in the next chapter, he continues to speak of himself as one who is not only edible, but drinkable. In John 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Jesus hadn't died, hadn't been resurrected yet. He had given direction to his guys later on in that three years that he spent with them to go to Jerusalem. And at that point in time, something amazing was going to happen. And sometimes this can be conceptually hard for us to embrace in that Christ is invisible. He's abstract. He's mysterious. But he's present in us or with us. And he may be in us, but we cannot see or touch him in a physical way. But it's super important to spend some time going through John 1. It's such an amazing overview of who Jesus Christ is and that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. Jesus is Spirit. Even when it comes to creation, the fact that we see God saying we created man in our image. Jesus was there from the beginning of time. In John 14, it reads, in verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Again, just really understanding that we have this opportunity. We have the scriptures. We've got the direction. We have those that have gone before us and have lived it, that have testified to it, just like those living leaves that were talked about in Revelations. And that ultimately, Christ is God. Romans 9, verse 5. Christ is also spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's a promise that we have from God. Christ is the word. John 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's the tree of life, the bread of life, the water of life, the spirit of life. Christ is the offering for life. And Romans 8 verse 2 says, Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, what is the significance of this sacrifice? This is incredibly significant here this morning. The significance of this sacrifice is that between those two trees, the Garden of Eden and the garden that we see talked about in the book of Revelations, is a third tree in the middle. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. says, If a man is guilty of a capital offense, he is put to death, and his body is hung on a tree. You must not leave his body on the tree overnight. 
Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And Paul just does an incredible job throughout the book of Galatians as to these reminders and this continuity and the connecting of the Old Testament and the New, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he reminds us again here in Galatians 3, verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus was hung on a tree. Jesus became cursed for each and every one of us. Jesus became our proxy, our redeemer, our provider. It's so amazing that that was the extent that he was going to, willing to go through, that he provided us this gift of redemption and salvation. Something we cannot accomplish on our own by obeying the law because the bottom line is we all fall short. But that's got to give us reason to rejoice this morning that knowing that there should be that much more of a reason to embrace what Christ has done for us personally. In Acts 2 verse 36 it reads, let me catch up here, there we go. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and he strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to them. You know, what we see here is 3,000 healing leaves that had just been ushered into God's kingdom. And for those of us that are familiar with the book of Acts, we know that there was a time when persecution hit, that those healing leaves were scattered back to the homes that they'd come from, to the nations they'd come from, give opportunity to others to hear the gift of salvation that comes through Christ. Whenever we read the word of the Bible, we find Christ. Wherever we turn the Bible, Christ is there. This Christ is the word, is our food. Matthew 4 verse 4 talks about that. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And to live on the words that proceed from God's mouth is to live by Christ. For he is the living word out of the mouth of God. You know, we need spiritual sustenance the same way we need to consume food for our physical well-being, right? And we've got to make sure that we put this ahead of every other duty or demand on our time. Brothers and sisters, I want you to really, I want you to write this down, type it into your phone, remember it, tap to it, whatever you need to do, so that you remember this and that, we must put this ahead of every other duty or demand on our time. See, the way to eat Christ is to be open to receive Him and His Word. And if we do this several times a day, would we not be nourished and strengthened and comforted and built up and able to deal with anything that comes our way? And that's what I love about the Bible. It is this inexhaustible source of wealth. 
The more you read it, the more you value it and profit from it, as you will see others profit from you because of that. And again, just in closing here, final two passages, Revelations 22.2. says, Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of all nations. The leaves of the tree here that we see of life are for the healing of the nations. The leaves, again, they prevent sickness and disease. They give the person who eats them the ability to be clothed in Christ. So we are perfectly represented, pure and blameless before God. This symbolizes the perfection that Jesus Christ gives, the perfect healing and deliverance from all suffering that he has given to us. And he expects us to give to others as seen in the Great Commission. As disciples, we are the leaves on that tree that bring healing to the nations. The blessing to Abraham, Jesus' last words, the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew, and the final reminder to the disciples in the book of Revelation, God has given us this priceless gift, His one and only Son. And with that gift, we become the crop that produces, or is produced on that tree of life. So as we take communion this morning, let's focus on the tree in the middle. That tree in the middle that we see in the book of Revelations, knowing that we are the crop that Jesus has produced, the leaves of healing for all nations that was promised to Abraham and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15 reads, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I just want to thank you this morning uh, for the incredible blessing that you've given us, really on so many different levels. Father, that you were willing to send people to express your word throughout the generations, and that the expectation that you had on others wasn't, was something that would not be overshadowed by a God that wasn't willing to engage on the same level, but that you would actually come down in the flesh, sacrifice your own son, so we'd have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with you. Father, as we celebrate this Christmas season, may we never lose sight of the gift that was given to us by you. Help us always to remember that when we look to you and the extremes that you're willing to go to, that will be the motivator in our life. That will give us the ability to embrace that gift, to live in accordance with what Jesus has established. And I know for all of us as disciples, Father, I, I, I would imagine there isn't anyone here that would leave today not hoping to be one of those healing leaves to friends and family and those who we come into contact with in this life. Father, let us never lose sight of the blood that was shed, the body that was hung on that tree that was a curse that would take on our sins so that we could be, again, represented pure and blameless to you. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.